0: Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being with us today. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor and it is a privilege to have you gathered with us as we've come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, in just a few minutes we're going to be in Acts chapter 21. We've been in Acts for quite some time and we've got a little while yet. But while you're turning, let me just point out a couple of announcements. At four o'clock today we have a next steps meeting. So, if you are a guest with us for the first time or the 30th time, you're curious about what it might look like to be a member of Malvern Hill, I would love to meet with you. We will meet right here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock. I'll meet you here. There's another room we'll go to, but this is the easiest landmark for you to find. So, I'll see you at 4 o'clock this afternoon for that. Also, right after service today, there's a quick interest meeting. If you've got any interest in knowing uh, more about uh, a foster care support uh, ministry, Uh, that's being considered or um, we have had a request come our way to try and supply mentors for middle school students Um, especially need men okay ladies we can certainly use you but I'm just telling you we especially need some of you men who have uh, time uh, to do that maybe 30 to 45 minutes a week to do something like that if either of those things seem like something you might have an interest in um, you're just going to meet right there. They're going to write your name down and get you more information about it. So there's no commitment just by showing up. I feel like an infomercial. There's no commitment by showing up. So, uh, but uh, they would just like to get your information to be able to get you more, um, more contact, more info about that. The other thing I want to mention to you is tomorrow morning, our children, our elementary school children, leave for camp. So uh, I would just ask you to please be praying for them. We celebrate when we're able to send our kids off. We know, many of you know, what it's like to get away to camp uh, as a kid. And you know that when you can sort of remove a lot of the distractions around you, you can really focus on the things of the Lord. God always does some great things in the lives of our children as they go off to camp. So they will leave in the morning. So please be praying for those kids as they leave tomorrow. They'll be gone uh, Monday through Friday. So I know that they'll appreciate your prayers. I think there were some cards in some of your life group boxes that you could sign for a part of that. All right, having said all of those things... We now turn our attention to the Word of God. So throughout this message, we will actually consider Acts chapter twenty one, verses twenty seven, all the way through Acts twenty two, twenty one. But for the sake of brevity, we will only read this morning Acts twenty one thirty seven through twenty two eleven. So I'm gonna ask you if you would to please stand with me in honor of God's word as I read to you. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. Now, what's happened is that Paul has been arrested. You remember last week we saw Paul come to Jerusalem. There was concern. He went to the temple. Once he got there, things did go a little sideways. As a result of his time there, there were some Jews from other places that showed up. They stirred up the crowd against Paul. Paul takes a beating. That's what they do. They drag him out of the temple, and they're beating him. And the reward that he gets for being beaten is that uh, soldiers are called in, and they arrest Paul, and it's at the time of his arrest that we begin our reading in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us a story. Give us the courage to share our story. I thank you for the story of Paul and for the bold witness that he shared. May we share his courage. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your story? As human beings, we are a storytelling people. In fact... There have been some who have suggested that nothing sets us apart from the animal kingdom as much as our ability to tell stories. Now, I, of course, would suggest that we tell stories not because we've evolved to do so, but because we are created in the image of a story creating God. Not only a story telling God, but a story creating God. I think you would all agree with that. But we love stories. If in school you ever read Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart or Ever turned your radio to Prairie Home Companion and listened to Garrison Keillor share the news from Lake Wobegon? Anybody? Thank you. I appreciate a couple of you. Um, You've enjoyed stories. Maybe you are more of a podcast person. You know what it is to get caught up in the latest podcast or television series or a good book. Maybe you're just a Taylor Swift fan and you know what it is to get caught up in Taylor Swift's storytelling songs. Regardless, as a result, what we know is that we are a storytelling people, and we can celebrate the fact that God has given us a story to tell. God's given us a story to tell. Here in this passage of Scripture, Paul tells his story. But Paul's story is told in a rather unique way. As I mentioned in the very beginning, Paul is arrested. In the middle of his arrest, he's being drugged away. And Paul says, hey, could I speak to these people? Just imagine what that's like. Paul's been beaten. He's being drugged away. And he says, hey, guys, could we take a pause for me to tell something to everybody else? Y'all, are you willing to share your story? What is your story? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a story. Now, let me just give you a brief outline of what your story is. Your story is this. It's who you were before you met Jesus. It's what Jesus did in your life. And then it's what you've been since you met Jesus. That's the three parts of your story that matter the most. As a matter of fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should get really good at sharing that story. Now, you might want to have a long version of that story, but you also need the condensed version that you can share in about two minutes. The ability to quickly get through who you were, what Jesus did, and what's been different about your life ever since that happened. Here we have Paul taking a moment to share a bit of his story. We see who he was. He was raised in Jerusalem, right, at the feet of Gamaliel. What happened? He met Jesus. Now, Paul gets cut off, as we're going to see later on, but had he been given the opportunity, he would have gone on to say, this is all that I've been ever since, and this is what Jesus has done and will do for you. But what is your... Story. Not only what is it, when's the last time you shared it? When's the last time that you shared it? There's three things that jump out from this passage of Scripture that I think are important for us as we consider telling our story. And Paul does all three of them. The first thing, if you're going to share your stories, you've got to be willing to take a chance. You've got to be willing to take a chance. As I mentioned, Paul has gotten his brains beat out. Or in, however that works. He beat him out or beat him I don't know. He got beat up pretty bad, and he's drug away in chains, and he says, Hey, man, you mind if I say something right here? Just understand this is not a typical environment where somebody is going to address the crowd. Here's what we need to anticipate. We need to anticipate that the perfect opportunity might not always be there. It might not always be there. As a matter of fact, we should anticipate that at times sharing our story is going to be challenging. I would go so far as to say that we should expect evangelism to be uncomfortable and exciting. We should expect evangelism to be uncomfortable and exciting. Why is it going to be uncomfortable? Well, it's just going to be uncomfortable because, as we mentioned last week, it's offensive. When I share my story, I'm necessarily telling somebody that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough and that they don't need anything else. I'm telling them that they're sinners and that they need a Savior. That is hard. It can also be hard because when we're telling our story, it gets a little bit personal. Now, when Paul got ready to tell his, he's like, hey, you mind if I say something right here? Did you notice that Paul speaks in two different languages in this particular situation? The first thing he does is he speaks to the the, the guard who's dragging him away. He speaks to him in Greek. And he says, do you mind if I speak? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you were the Egyptian that had been stirring up all this trouble. He goes, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew and a Roman citizen. I am from Tarsus. And he's like, oh, well, sure, if you want to say something, that's just fine. Then Paul stands up and he motions with his hands. I appreciate that. Any, any hand talkers in here, you know what I'm talking about? Those of you that couldn't talk if somebody tied your hands to your, to your side, I know that feeling. You, you, um, when I was in seminary, I had to, to give a, a, a sermon in a a small chapel at the, uh, on campus at the seminary, and they have a, um, an elevated pulpit. You know what that is? It's like one of those, this, you walk up into steps, it's in a little box. It's had a box about this big, and I, I bruised my hips because there was a little shelf around it, and I kept moving from side to side and hitting myself on the side of the thing. I know what it's like to... And so Paul stands up and he motions with his hands, and everybody got quiet. And the Bible says that Paul spoke to them in the Hebrew language. And that they listened more intently because he was speaking to them in their language. Folks, as we consider that evangelism is going to be uncomfortable and exciting, I want you to know that part of that discomfort means that sometimes we got to speak to people in the way that they'll be heard, or excuse me, in the way that we will be heard, not necessarily in the way that we would want to speak. You're not wrong to share your story in a way that people will listen a little bit more intently. I have two brothers, and when I speak to them on the phone, Angela never has to ask me who I was talking to when I get off the phone. She get, I hang up the phone, and she just says, was that Jeff or Seth? She knows it's one of my brothers because we speak a unique language among ourselves. There's a series of, of grunts and short statements, and we communicate everything we need to get across in that place. She also knows that there's certain words that I use with them I just don't use with anybody else. There might be a nickname that we have for somebody that's only shared among the three of us. Nobody else on planet Earth has any idea what we're talking about. But she knows that's who I was speaking to when I get off the phone. Y'all, when we are sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we got to be willing to take a chance on it being uncomfortable. We've got to be willing to take a chance on speaking in a way that we're going to be heard. Jerry Clower is my favorite theologian. Waiting for it. One of my favorites, anyway. And uh, Jerry Clower, in one of his stories, told the bit about how he could speak in any language he needed to. That when he was a fertilizer salesman, if he needed to speak in a language of an agronomist, he could do that among the learned around him. But when he was home, he could speak in the language of his home. And he was telling stories, he could speak in the language of those country people that he grew up around. He could speak however he needed to speak to be heard. Folks, we're not double-faced or or double-minded when I choose to speak in one way around one group of people and another way maybe to somebody else. I'm just speaking in a way that clearly communicates. So Paul stood up and he spoke to them in the Hebrew language so that they would listen. Maybe he used stories that they would hear from. When he stood up, he connected with them right away. He said, I'm from here. And I was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. They knew what Paul was talking about in that moment. He took a chance to, when he stood up, he had to take some courage. It was uncomfortable, but he also immediately tried to connect with them. Y'all, expect evangelism to be uncomfortable, but expect it to be exciting. I can't promise you that people are going to always respond in the way that you want them to, but I can tell you something. You can expect that if you share the gospel, you're going to have some moments of exhilaration, you're going to have some moments of joy. Sometimes you're going to see somebody come to the Lord and that is going to be joy inexplicable. It's going to be overwhelming, right? Is it going to always be easy? No. It wasn't easy for Paul in this place, but we can't wait for it to be easy. Not only can we not wait for it to be easy, we've got to seek out opportunities to share our testimony. We've got to seek them out. Do you know that the perfect opportunity will always present itself? The perfect opportunity won't always present itself. I've, I've had people tell me, I haven't been reading my Bible because I just I haven't felt like it. And I, I didn't feel like it was honoring the Lord unless I was all committed and just all in. Y'all, that's just a cop-out, right? There's days when I don't feel like getting out of bed, but I still get out of bed because that's what I have to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. There are days when I don't feel like feeding my children, but I feed them because they need to be fed, you know? There are things that we do because we want, even if my heart's not always in it. We talked about this last Sunday. A lot of times our attitude will follow our actions. That wasn't last Sunday. That was a Bible study I did on Wednesday. But a lot of times our attitudes will follow our actions. So when we find ourselves immersed in the Word of God, we will find oftentimes that it's in that act of spending time in God's Word that God will carry our hearts away and He will put us in the place He wants us to be. Now, just as we can't wait until we feel like it to, sh- to, to read God's Word, we can't wait until we feel like it or we have the perfect opportunity to share our story. I found out a little while ago that there's some guys in our church who had a running joke. And the running joke, and I was the butt of that joke. I had no idea. So this was the joke. Apparently, I tell a lot of stories. I know that. Uh, apparently I tell a lot of stories and in the joke that these guys had come up with is that they would sit around and come up with the most obscure thought or fact or piece of trivia and they would just throw out this idea and then they would stand around and wait to see if I could come up with a story about that strange idea I didn't know they were doing this okay until one day several of them were around and somebody threw out this weird Weird topic, and sure enough, I had a story to go along with the topic, and they just bust out laughing. And I was like, what's so funny? I don't get it. And then somebody finally had to confess to what was going on, that I was the butt of all of their jokes. Well, the joke's on them, because I tell better stories than they do. But you know, when I have a good story, don't, I look for opportunities to tell it sometimes. i got a story about an alligator that's fantastic. Somebody mentions alligator, I'm just waiting for a break in the conversation so I can get it in there. And if you don't want to talk about an alligator, you mentioned mentioned frog. It's green. It's a reptile. I can get there. You understand? We can arrive. Are we as eager to tell our stories of salvation? Are we as eager to tell the story of what God's done in our life? Are we looking for opportunities? Are we trying to make opportunities? Y'all, the perfect one just rarely presents itself. It rarely does. I'm a pastor and have been for almost all all of my adult life. And yet I can count on one hand the number of times somebody just walked up to me and said, I want to know the Lord today. It rarely happens. But man, how often have they been willing to listen to a gospel story if I will just initiate the conversation. It doesn't always have to be hard. had an appointment on Friday. took about 15 minutes. The whole family had to be there for for this appointment about 15 minutes in. On the back end of that... I asked the guy who was helping us if he had a church he was involved with. He told me he did. He told me the name of it. I said, "I'm so that's awesome. Thank you. It was good to meet you. We went on about our business. Look, I was looking for a chance to share my story with that guy. Turns out he didn't need to hear my story. You know how long it took? It took about 15 seconds for me to get to that place. But the conversation, the ability to weave my story in began with just a question. Do you have a church that you're involved with? And if he'd have said no, I'd have said, well, then let me tell you about mine. And if he'd have said yes, but I don't remember the name of it or where it's located, I'd have like, well, he's lying to me, so let me tell you about mine. Y'all take a chance. Do it. Just step out there. Very few things in life that are worth doing are easy. And I'm not here to tell you that telling your story is going to always be easy, but it will be worth it. And I'll tell you this, the second time you tell it, it's going to be a little bit easier than the first time. And the 30th time is going to be a little bit easier than the 5th time. Right? You might not always get everything in there, but you can initiate conversations. You can try to weave your way into a conversation so that you can tell somebody a story that matters for the rest of their life. What's your story? Number one, take a chance. Number two, remember who you were. Remember who you were. Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I persecuted believers. I did this. I did that. Listen, I don't want you to forget that who you were before you met Jesus is a part of the person that Jesus is making you into today. Who you were before you met Jesus is a part of the person that Jesus is making you into today. Your past is a part of your story. It's not as though you lived 25 years and then Jesus finally showed up and and, and knew where you were, what you were doing, and then boom, everything changed. Has never considered to you that maybe God put you in some of the places he put you in because he had a path that he was leading you on? Even in your years of rebellion, how many of you can look back in your years of rebellion and see that even as you tried to reject the Lord, he was working to bring you into line with the place that he would want you to be? How many of you can see that? How many of you who came to the Lord as a young child, for instance, have ever considered the fact that it was in God's incredible grace and providence that He allowed you to be born into a family where the gospel was proclaimed and preached? That just the simple fact that you live in a country where we can worship freely is an act of God's sovereign grace in your life to put you in a place where you can respond to the gospel. Right? Right? God is at work even in your past before he knew you. How many of you can look back at before you came to know Jesus at some people that God placed into your path? They were nudging you toward Christ. Don't forget that. Don't miss the fact that God uses your past not only to prepare you for the future, but a lot of times he's going to be able to use your past to enable you to minister in the present and the future. Some of you have stories from the past that allows you to connect with people today that I can't connect with, right? Some of you know pain and struggle that I don't know, and as a result of that, you can connect with people in a place that I just don't even fully understand. God can use your past, and your past is a part of your story. Now now listen, your past is a part of your story. Your whole past is a part of your story, so that means that I don't don't want you to be too ashamed of who you were because God has redeemed that person. Uh, It also means I don't want you to embellish who you were so that you can have a better story. Like, God's grace is just as evident, perhaps even more, in a life that was preserved from sin and from active rebellion and from notorious sin. But listen to me, if you got drunk twice in college, you are not a notorious drunk and you don't need to put that as a part of your testimony, you understand? Be honest about who you were. Be honest. Tell the story. And then allow God to get the glory for whatever he's done in your life. If you're a person who was preserved from a whole lot of things in your life, then give God all the glory. Give him the glory. Don't worry about the fact that they'll never make a TV movie about your life. Give God the glory for the fact that you didn't have to live a TV movie. You know what I mean? Make sure that people know that He has preserved you from some things that other people have endured. And He deserves the glory. And if you're a person who lived in notorious sin, listen, your story doesn't need to revolve around how many times you did all these things and how crazy it was and how wild Perhaps the story needs to revolve around the fact that you were in that place and God saw you and He picked your feet up out of the miry clay and set you on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. That He reached down and He saved you. But tell your story. Why don't you need to be ashamed of it? Because the sins of your past are trophies of God's grace. I don't think that it would be exactly like this. But when I get to heaven one day, I imagine that, that there could potentially be a trophy room in heaven. And now, that trophy won't be made up of the, the, the animals that, that Jesus took on an African safari. There won't be slow-pitch softball trophies or golf tournament trophies. No, no. In that trophy room, if it were to exist, I imagine that it will be trophies, lists of the sins that have been overcome by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I can imagine plaques with names like Craig Thompson in a list of sins spelled out. Then black and white, maybe chiseled in stone. But then over all of that, a huge stamp that says forgiven, redeemed, set free. That in that place we see the glory, the power of God's grace. A story is told of Ruth Graham. It may be apocryphal, it might not be, be true but the story is told anyway of Ruth Graham that one day that's Billy Graham's wife by the way one day in church there was a man who had come to Christ later in life and he'd come to Christ after a life of what they call notorious sin and as a part of that life that sinful lifestyle that he lived he had he had had mementos of that sinful life tattooed all over his arms for the whole world to see but after coming to Christ he was so embarrassed and ashamed of who he once was then when he showed up at church, he showed up always in long sleeves to cover the sins of his past. And the story is told that one day, Miss Ruth Graham walked up to this man and she rolled up the sleeves of his, uh, of his shirt. He said, what are you doing? He, she said, I, I'm tired of you being embarrassed of all of this. These are examples of the power of God's grace in your life. These are trophies of God's grace. This is what he's delivered you from. Y'all, I I don't want you to celebrate the sin of your past. But I don't want you to be terribly ashamed of it because here's what I want you to do. I want you to look back at that sin and say, I was sinful and wrong. But God is so much more powerful than my sin. He's so much bigger than my sin. And in His grace and in His mercy and in His love, He has overcome my sin and my shame. And in spite of me, in spite of who I was, He saved me. Wow, what a trophy. What a victory. What a king that we serve. Remember who you were. And recognize, acknowledge, tell others that your sins are trophies of God's grace. Paul would go on and say, I was the chief of all sinners. But God is rich in grace and in mercy. Take a chance, remember who you were. Then third, this morning, I want you to tell what Jesus did. Tell what Jesus did. Paul didn't stop with, hey, this is who I was. And you're going to see this about Paul's ministry throughout the book of Acts. We see it over and over and over again. Paul hurries to the gospel. Remember, we we saw that when Paul was at Mars Hill, uh, speaking at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. In that place, he said, you have this altar to the unknown God. Paul could have spent perhaps many hours in in, in conversation or debate with the philosophers of that community. But rather than debating their philosophy, he makes one passing mention of this idol to the unknown God, and then he quickly moved to Jesus Christ. Y'all, we got to be willing to get to Jesus. Tell what Jesus did. And that's what Paul does right here. He says, this is who I was. But then he goes and says, but I met Jesus. It's actually a little bit different. Paul says Jesus met him. He confronted him on the road to Damascus. How many of you know what it's like to be confronted by Jesus? Right? How many of you know what it's like for Jesus to kind of catch you in the middle of what you were and who you were? And to just not let you go until you finally gave in? How many of you know what it's like to surrender to Christ? Some of you know that. Some of you are hard-headed like me. Folks, we got to be willing to tell what Jesus did. But first, tell what Jesus did for you. For you. You know, know, we live in a world where experts no longer exist. Now, when I say experts no longer exist, let me explain what I mean. There was a time when a pastor was considered an expert, right? So if somebody had a a biblical question or, or, or sometimes just a question about life, they would call up their pastor and they'd say, Hey, what do you think I should do? But there was a time when doctors were experts. Somebody would show up at the doctor's office and they'd say, Hey, it it hurts right here. What do you think that I should do? Well, the world has changed today because that doctor will say, Well, I think that what you need to do is, is follow this prescription and do these stretches and lose 10 pounds. And that person says, Well, doctor, I appreciate that, but I just Googled it and it says I should do this. So when I tell you that we, we're in a world without experts, here's what I'm telling you. We're in a world that rarely appreciates experts anymore because the little tablets in our pockets have caused us to all believe that we're experts about everything. And so you walk into the doctor's office and you're trying to tell the doctor what the doctor should do. You know? Well, we, 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 even, we even in, in this, this economy, information economy in which we live, the way that we acquire things or seek out services is different. Many of you do this. I don't, but many of you do. Many of you have gotten a Facebook, perhaps, or, or some other social media service, and you said, I need somebody to tell me where I should get my car fixed. I, I'm in search of an auto mechanic. Can you help me? That, that's not the way I find a mechanic, but that's the way a lot of people do anymore. And then 400 people will, will crowdsource the answer to this question. Well, I think you should go here. I think you should go there. Here's why. We all are looking for an opinion I want to know what your experience was with that place. Well, I can pick on Facebook or this economy in which we live, but the reality is I just do it a little bit differently. I want your opinion as well. I don't put it down on social media, but I might call up one of y'all and say, Hey, I'm looking for somebody to do this for me. Do you have a suggestion? What's your experience with that person? You see, we want to know. We want to know how it was for you. This is why I need you to tell what Jesus did for you. Because in a world that has lost appreciation for experts, in a world where this book matters very little, the people that hear your story, the first thing they want to know is not what does the Bible say, they want to know is it real and did it work in your life? Maybe our world's not so much different today than it was back then because Paul did the same thing. Paul told them, what happened in his life. He told them that Jesus appeared to him. He told them that Jesus said for him to go to Ananias. He told them that that Jesus told him to hurry up and get out of Jerusalem. He told them that Jesus said that he was going to send him to the Gentiles. These are the things that Paul experienced. Y'all, when you're telling your story... Make sure that you tell what Jesus did for you. People want to know. They want to know, did you find joy? Did you find happiness? They want to know, did Jesus repair your marriage? They want to know, did Jesus help you as a parent? They want to know that. They want to know, did did your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ help you to consider how to manage your finances? That actually happens. They want to know. They're interested to see, does does it actually work? But folks, we can't stop with just telling what Jesus did for you. We also have to tell what Jesus did for everybody. What did Jesus do for all? Now, Paul gets cut off in this passage of Scripture. If we get to verse 21, he says that Jesus said to him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then, if we keep reading in verse 22, it says, Up to this word they listened to him, But then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Things just escalated real quickly for Paul. They're all listening very carefully, and the minute that he says that Jesus had sent him to the Gentiles, everything ends right here. Now, had Paul been given the opportunity, we know, because we've seen so much of Paul's ministry already in the book of Acts, that Paul would have quickly moved not only to what Jesus had done for him personally, he would have moved quickly to what Jesus had done for everybody. You would have moved quickly to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to an invitation to all the people who were gathered there that this Jesus Christ who saved him is willing to save them as well. He might have said something along the lines, This Jesus whom you crucified is Lord and Savior of all the world. And today, if you will, but believe upon him, you can be saved. Paul told his story. And he told it over and over and over again. And when it wasn't popular, he told it. And when it was hard, he told it. He didn't sugarcoat it. He tried to tell it in a way that people might listen. What's your story? What's your story? Remember, your story is just who you were, what Jesus did, and who you've been ever since. That's your story. But as we move our way this morning toward a conclusion... I want us to shift gears just a little bit and ask you this Do you have a story to tell? See, the reality is that some of you don't tell your story because you just don't have a story. Now, you might have a story, but it's not very exciting. We don't tell stories that aren't very much fun. Your story is still rooted in, well, my grandma was my Sunday school teacher and my daddy was a deacon. Your, your story is rooted in, well, I got baptized when I was eight. But I, I don't know if you were listening in the very beginning. I told you that a story has three parts. Who you were, what Jesus did, and who you've been ever since. See, here's the scary reality. If ever since you've not been anything that looks like Jesus, there's a strong chance that you don't know Him. So There's a strong possibility of the reason that you're not telling your story is because you don't have a story. There's probably some of you here today that I don't have to convince that you are a sinner falling short of God's glory. You know that. I probably, maybe don't even have to convince you that as a result of your sin, you deserve punishment. You you recognize that. You know the hole that you've dug for yourself in your sin. And see, there might even be one of you here today. That came here knowing you didn't have a story. And knowing that you need, for the very first time, to actually experience this Jesus of Nazareth, to have a relationship with this Jesus Christ who died for you. See, that's our invitation this morning. Do you have a story? If you don't have a story, the invitation is simple. I would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ today and give you a story. But in the first service, somebody said to me after the service something that we're going to tag on to this invitation this morning. See, some of you need a story, and I want to invite you to have that story today. But as we sing, there's some of you who are broken for a friend or family member who you know needs a story. A friend or a family member who you know doesn't have a story of salvation in Jesus. And so this morning... If you need that story, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Well, this morning, some of you may just want to come and pray for that family member or friend, that loved one who needs a story. Today, you may pray that they would have their hearts open and that you would have the courage to tell your story so that you might make a difference in their life for all of eternity. However the Lord is at work in your life, as we sing, I invite you to come. Stand with me as I pray. Father God, we thank you for loving us and for the story, the greatest story ever told, ever lived out, the story of salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus lived and died for our sin. Father, for those here today that do not have a story, I pray today can be their day of salvation. And Father, for those who are burdened, for somebody who needs a story, I pray that you'd hear their prayers today. In Jesus' name, amen.